What's up? What's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Hey Mark podcast, where I'm marked to have open and authentic conversations about things like mental health and self-development and, you know, everything along those lines, kind of the topics that we don't get to talk about on a daily basis. I try and cover here on this podcast. And today I'm joined by Matt, who you're going to see actually right now. My name is Matt Enns, and I'm a Canadian expat living in Texas. I was a stockbroker for about 10 years. I recently sold that and launched a coaching business where I help ambitious men level up to the point where professional success becomes inevitable. And I especially work with men who don't really like their current job, they're not feeling very fulfilled, and they're trying to figure out what they should do next. And so Matt and I got to chatting about basically rites of passage, uh, becoming an adult, kind of identifying who you are and who you're meant to be and what you're supposed to be doing, and uh, a couple other fun topics as well. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation and let's jump right into it. How's it going, bro? Nice. It's going well. Uh, lots of changes, as you would imagine, but uh, yeah, it's been a while since we've connected. Yeah, dude. For um, yeah. for anyone, because I'll probably throw like a little bit of an intro on that in the beginning of this and... Um, okay. But we'll just jump right into like conversations for anybody that like kind of doesn't know who you are. I'll like I would have already said your Instagram and everything like that. But okay, perfect. Give people like a little introduction to like who you are, what you're all about, and uh, why 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 we really are having this conversation today. Yeah. So um, I'm Matt Enns, and um, I was an investment advisor for just over ten years, and. When COVID hit, um, everything sort of got tossed upside down and my values got really tested and refined. And uh, like a lot of people did, I came out of COVID um, a very different person than I entered into it. And that included my career. And so I sold my old finance business and I opened a coaching business, which is largely helping men find um, the career that suits them best. And I... Uh, left Canada shortly before the last federal election, and I now live in beautiful uh, Austin, Texas. Yeah, dude, I saw that you yeah. guys were traveling quite a bit, man. You you were over in Florida for a bit, was that right, or just visiting? Yeah, there? we kind of went uh, we went back and forth between Florida and Texas two or three times, just kind of trying to figure out, um, you know, where was where was a better spot to end up. And we had family that was visiting Florida that we weren't able to see in Canada um since we're not allowed to travel and uh so we saw some family in florida and uh those are the kind of the two states where at the time you know things have loosened up a little bit but at the time when things were looking really rough in canada um texas and florida were the places where you could still be uh, a human being so those are the places that we gravitated towards yeah man and yeah. um i love that you're like talking about it like it's like a post-covid like it's because in Vancouver, yeah, here, like know, we I'm still sorry. we still live yeah. within like this like uh, we're still playing pandemic here so it's so cool that you're like able to just speak about it like yeah back in the day it was so funny man like um you know i wasn't exactly wearing masks as i was supposed to when i was in vancouver but we came down here like i said early september we came to austin and there were a few people wearing masks here and there um basically in grocery stores seemed to be the place for some reason you get like maybe one or two out of 10, um, but restaurants outside alone in your car, like nobody was wearing masks anywhere. And I wasn't super active on social media at the time, but my wife's always been posting like crazy. I think you follow her. Um, or you, I don't know if you do, but yeah, um, dude, she kicks ass. 
she yeah, she posts a ton of shit. Yeah, she does all her jujitsu. Yeah, and so she was posting like you know whatever she does twenty stories a day or something. And people in Canada were like their heads were exploding because they were like, hold on, like you're at restaurants, everyone's going out. It's like yeah, everything here is perfectly normal, and you forget it takes you like six weeks to adjust back to like feeling like a normal human. Um, but people people's heads were exploding in Canada. They're like, well, is everyone okay? Like, what's going on? It's like, no, everybody's just fine. Yeah. Was it weird for like your kids to transition? Um, well, the move was a big deal for the kids, but as far as like the COVID stuff went, we tried to like kind of insulate them from that as much as possible. Like my kids never wore masks anywhere under any circumstances. Uh, we yanked them from school when we knew the mask mandate for school was coming. Um, so they, they didn't really know that a lot of this was going on. The only thing they knew was like dad worked from home. That's the coolest thing I ever heard, man. I love that you guys had the audacity to do like the balls to actually like follow through with all of that. Because like, I, I say like, it's easy for me because I was like, oh, I'm just not going to fucking go to businesses that support this bullshit. Like, that's kind of the way that I was thinking about it. Like, you know, if I had to go to the hospital for some reason and I had to wear a mask, like I'm not going to, you know, I obviously need medical attention for certain circumstances, but other than that, like, (laughs) I'm not going to willingly, that was pretty much my stance is like, I'm not going to willingly go, go about supporting like this kind of stuff. Cause it just didn't really vibe with what I stand for. But I think, um, it's like something, it shows like kind of like a, a net, the next level of like, uh, kind of integrity when people get to uh well i guess not get to but get to show their children like what kind of things like there's only a few like fathers that i know that that you know stayed strong with these if they had these views then to keep consistent with them when it came time to like okay well you know am i actually about this through and through you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i think it's oh I, i wasn't always yeah well like it seemed like it i don't know like what Tell me well, about there, that. There were times like, I mean, I wore them. I wore a mask when I was like on planes, um, like not in the airport necessarily. I was kind of the only person who didn't there. But on, on an airplane, I would because it was just too much of like a nuisance, and I didn't want to cause a whole like thing. I would wear masks like when I was out with my kids sometimes, so that if there was any negative attention from other people, it would be directed at me and not my kids. Um, yeah, but it, it all changed actually. Like I, I was going back and forth a little bit and I was, I was thinking about getting vaccinated for a while, not for very long. Um, my wife was planning on it too. Um, but then, uh, so I was working for RBC at the time and a vaccine mandate came down. We got the email saying basically, you know, not, not saying explicitly you're going to get fired, but basically saying, you know, you have to get vaccinated if you want a secure employment future here. And so I thought about it a lot and it was, it was very stressful, obviously. But I made the decision that, you know, it's not, I'm not going to compromise my bodily autonomy and my integrity, and my sovereignty um, for the sake of, a, of an income. And my wife was at home, you know, I have two small kids, so it wasn't, it wasn't a small decision. But I went into my manager's office, who's an amazing guy, and he, he handled it really well. It wasn't his decision, obviously. And I just had that conversation, like, look, this is not something I'm going to be doing. And if that means I lose my job, so be it. And that was a really, really big deal, obviously, for me. And it turned out, you know, RBC made some accommodations and uh, and nobody ended up getting fired, but that was very uncertain. And he said so at the time, like, look, we don't know what's going to happen in the next month. Um, But I say that because when I made the decision to be willing to lose the thing that was most important to me up to that point in my life, which was my career, aside from family, um, 
you find this strength inside of you that's always there, but you never, you don't really realize the depth of it or you're not really connected to it. And ever since being willing to say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to start over to, to completely risk my financial future, to risk the comfort that my family is able to have because of my career. When I made that decision, I connected with some part of me that was stronger than I thought. And all of the other stuff became almost natural um, yeah. rather than like something I had to try to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely kind of feel that. And I mean, even just having the courage to do that under any circumstances, like I have a friend of mine right now who, um, without giving away like too many details, he, he, uh, has like kind of always had like steady jobs. Um, but he's got like a dependent on the way, you know what I mean? And yeah. he's also yeah. got this dream of kind of pursuing his own business essentially. Like he wants to become an entrepreneur, but with only months away from like having a kid, like it's been very difficult for him to kind of, you know, he's been like very weary of, you know, obviously sensibly so, right? Like, it's like, mm -hmm. I need an income. I need to have an income yeah. if I have someone yeah. dependent on me. So like, even just to make that move for yourself, like, um, I know like put, trying to put myself in his shoes, like, I don't know if I could pull the trigger on something like that. Mm -hmm. So it's always, it's been like a, almost like a philosophical debate inside me recently where it's like, man, mm -hmm. I don't know, like if I could, could walk away from that income and that security. Mm -hmm. So did you have that kind of war within yourself? Like kind of trying to figure that out with yourself? Yeah, massively. I, I went back and forth like hundreds of times in my head. Um, and then probably the thing that made the biggest difference was I was talking it through with my wife and she was basically like, look, you know, we're here, like whatever happens, she's like, even if you have to get another job, you know, our lifestyle will have to change Maybe where we live will have to change, but we're not going to be hungry. Like we're going to, like our, our, our bare necessities are going to be met. Um, and she's like, you know, the rest is just nice to have. So she's like, you know, we're going to have everything we need. That's not at risk. Like basically just our comfort and our lifestyle and the luxuries of, you know, having above a certain level of income are nice. And she's like, but that's not, it's not worth your health and it's not worth your integrity. And so when she said that, that really gave me the confidence to be like, okay, you know, if that's the way she's looking at it, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be a lesser version of the man that she knows I can be. And so that gave me a ton of courage to do that. And I'd almost like permission to do it as well. That's huge, man. Yeah. Cause that, that yeah. would be like the, you know, as much as we want to say like, Oh, we're a hundred percent independent, man. Like I know even like, I'm no. not, yeah. You know, like <laughs> even yeah. like girlfriend, I'm always like, Hey, do you like this idea that I have? Like, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's always like you're looking yeah. for the affirmation for sure. Yeah. But, um, what I was going to say is she was like what you said, was uh she said it's not worth your health or your integrity and uh i mean that could be talking about medication obviously but the way i took it was kind of like uh your mental health right because staying in a career that's like kind of got you like um in golden handcuffs man you know what i mean like it's yeah. like the sense of security but then you always have this like like i know for myself before i started this podcast i always had a yearning to talk like always like all like i was like man i want to be like on the radio or like a talk show host or like i always had those dreams yeah. right so yeah. i always had like this like um yeah. yearning like pulling me towards something else you know yeah and i think uh when you don't like go towards that or when you're doing something that you just don't want to do every fucking day like it just erodes your mental health completely yeah and that was something i came to terms with at the same time and this kind of segues into what i'm doing now because um you know, I, I, at the time I loved what I was doing and it offered me 
income, flexibility over my time, um, you know, a lot of autonomy, which is extremely important to me. Um, but during COVID, and I think something that happened during COVID, which I think is really interesting, is people kind of like bifurcated and like there's this big split in society. And people either became more compliant, more passive, more submissive, more obedient, um, or they started to become more independent-minded, more likely to do their own research, more likely to make decisions based upon their own values, not just based upon the default of society's values. And the more that I you know, went down that, that second path, the more that I realized the job that I was in wasn't actually providing me with as much fulfillment as I wanted. And it also happened, because this seems to be how everything happens, is when I was trying to make this decision about what I want to do next, whether I want to, you know, stand firm in my beliefs and risk getting fired, whether I want to move to the US, open a new business, um, I was offered the opportunity to take over a retiring colleague's clients. So I would have taken over all of his clients. I was making like a top 1% income at the time, and I would have doubled that and better um, even before I started to grow it. So it was like a multiple six-figure um potential raise that was on the table for me. And so you have all these things happening at the same time. And then you're starting to realize, you know, I don't know if I want to live here anymore. I don't know if I want to do this job anymore. I don't know if I can keep being the person that I was 18 short months ago or 12 short months ago. And as I started to be honest about that, you find all these depths in yourself and you're like, oh, wait, you know, I'm actually not very fulfilled in this career. I love my clients. I love helping them out. Um, I love putting together portfolios for clients and helping them through stressful financial times, but I don't like researching stocks all day. In fact, it kind of like kills my soul. And then you start thinking, well, what do I like? And then you, you realize, well, all of the things I do in my spare time, all of the hobbies and passions and interests that I have outside of work, there's very little overlap between that and what I do all day. So it's like, so I'm going to spend half my waking hours doing something that I wouldn't do for free. And that... I only do because I'm paid to do it. And then once you, once you realize that and you really let that set in, like sink in on a cellular level and you're like, oh, I'm doing this exclusively for money and it is in no way connected to the person that I could potentially be. Um, it gets really painful to do that. And it starts, it, that, that pain starts spilling out into other areas of your life, including your you know, marriage, parenting, friendships, um, health, especially mental health, obviously. So- yeah. Yeah. I, I know kind of what you mean because, and even when you have those situations, like I was, I, I remember the first time that I had left like the construction industry, I went in to go and work in the gym and I ended up like kind of climbing the ladder there until I was like the general manager at the location I was working at. And I remember going in every day and I was like, I remember when I applied for the job, I said, I'll do anything I have to do as long as I can just hang Beautiful. out in the gym all day. That was like, I was like, I just want to be in the yeah. gym all day. And yeah. uh, they loved hearing that, right? Like they saved that, the, yeah. this saved that you just said, they're like, beautiful. We'll, we'll get you, here's your list of shit to do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, at the end of it, after like three, three and a half years, I'm sitting there like, man, I don't want to be in an office doing like conference calls with a bunch of people, like talking about how we're going to up leads and, you know, da, 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 da. Like, yeah. I'm like, man. I just wanted to hang out in the gym and create community. Like that's all I wanted to do. I didn't want to mm. be a part of, and, and after realizing that it's like, Oh yeah, that's why I snap at staff members for little things like being like two minutes mm -hmm. late or like, you know, like mm -hmm. not tucking your shirt, in, like whatever it could be. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, Oh yeah. That's why you're yelling at a 19 year old yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I, I totally get where that's at. It does. It spills over into everything. Like, you know, you're you're more impatient. And I think it all it all, you know, you're more impatient, you're more grumpy, you're less motivated, you wake up in the morning with less energy, even. And I think it all goes back to the fact that on some level, you know, you might not know it consciously, you know, your prefrontal cortex might not have no idea what's going on, but like deep down, um, you know you're betraying yourself. Um, or you're you're betraying that future version of yourself that could be all these things that you want to be, right? If you're really attracted to gyms, let's say, you know, there's some future version of you that's making the income you want, that looks the way you want, that has the relationship that you want, that has the house in the part of town that you want, that does the activities in your free time that you want, that makes money in a gym. There's some version of you that does that, right? And if you're continuously, you know, you know, working at a bookkeeping firm, you know, looking at Excel spreadsheets all day and just like bored out of your mind, you're betraying that, better version of you right and uh and you feel that and it spills over yeah yeah absolutely yeah I, or you're just like kind of paying present you're, you're like you're paying present self as opposed to paying future self yeah that's right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly you're, you're you're prioritizing who you happened to be by default instead of who you could be if you really thought it through and you really felt it through to be you know what what you're actually meant to be so kind of what, like, what kind of drew you towards what you're doing now? You were kind of like had this feeling like, I don't want to be fucking researching stocks and building portfolios. Like it's fun to make money, but I don't want to be doing this all day. But like, what kind of drew you more towards what you're doing now? Um, it was a long process. Um, I got super, super introspective and I created a bunch of processes to kind of pull these truths out of myself about what I should be doing. And I borrowed and, and, and looked at a lot of other processes that other people had put together. Um, and, you know, part of that process was, I mean, I, I started off by looking at, you know, skills and saying, okay, first of all, what are the skills that I have? And I didn't, I didn't just look at the skills that I have from work, but what are the skills that I have even outside of work, right? So, so, so one of the big ones that I kept coming back to is I did, you know, dozens and dozens of these exercises was one of the things that I'm best at is learning and teaching. And there was some element of that in my previous job, but if somebody asks, you know, oh, what are the skills you learned as an investment advisor, as a stockbroker, you wouldn't say learning and teaching necessarily, right? You'd say, well, financial analysis, uh, maybe sales and marketing, that sort of thing. So I looked at all of my, you know, specific career skills that, I, that I'd accumulated, like I mentioned, sales, financial markets. And then I looked at the skills that I had outside of that. And, you know, I, and I put everything on the list, right? Like I put like jujitsu, like that was one of my skills. Um, what's a silly skill I put on there? Nothing's really coming to mind. But like, oh, like parenting, you know, like that's not silly, obviously, but like, you know, fatherhood, I put every skill that I had that I could think of. And then I ranked them all in terms of plus or minuses in terms of, can I make a bunch of money doing that? And then when I had all the skills left over that were monetizable, um, I then stacked those skills up in a way where I could, you know, become something special. I don't, have you heard of skill stacking? I, I've only ever heard of like two other people bring that up and kind of discuss okay. it, but I want to yeah, hear your amazing. definition of it because I've heard slight different variations and I'm still trying to understand it actually. Yeah. So I don't know the other definitions, but the one I know, I got it from a book by Scott Adams, the guy who does the Dilbert cartoons. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he said, yeah, he's like explaining himself. He's like, I'm not a world-class cartoonist, but I'm a pretty good cartoonist. I'm a pretty good comedian. I'm not a world-class comedian and I'm a pretty good artist, but I'm not a world-class artist, but you combine those three things, you know, good skills at drawing, good skills at uh, comedy and good skills at, what was the third one? Comedy. 
I think because he worked in an office, right? Because he worked in oh, an yeah, office. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe that's what it was, yeah. Job. And, then, and then knowing the corporate environment, you put those all together, none of those are world-class skills, but when you stack them on top of each other, I become a world-class cartoonist. And um, so I, I tried to do that myself. And I was like, you know, if I look at my very best skills and I stack those up, how can I do that in a way where I, where I have something really unique to offer the world, maybe even unique enough that I'm the only person that can offer it and it's monetizable. Um, so I did that. And then I also looked at my passions, my interests, my hobbies, you know, what's the kind of work that I can do, you know, for hours and hours at a time without looking at the clock. Like what are, what are the things I do that I really get lost in? Um, and that, that tended to be basically, you know, reading, learning and teaching about, um, self-development, which includes, you know, psychology, philosophy, everything. And then I also looked at, this is the third piece, you know, what are my highest values? Um, because some people, they want community more than, more than they want anything else. Some people want freedom more than they want anything else. Some people want to be in nature more than anything else. Some people want to be near the hustle and bustle, you know, what are my values? And when I figured out all of those things, which took months, like this is, this is a very, very long process it pointed very, very directly to coaching. Um, so it offers me, you know, essentially no ceiling on my earnings, which is important to me. Um, I have total freedom and independence to take it in whatever direction that I want. There's not even, you know, and this is not always a good thing, but there's not even a governing body that says, you know, hey, here's what you have to do as a coach. You know, that's why a lot of coaches aren't so good at their jobs, you know, sadly enough. Um, and it allowed me to really express the things that I love the most, which is, teaching, learning. So, you know, now when I have two hours to kill, I can go <clears throat> do, you know, some very targeted learning on YouTube or on podcasts or whatever, that's directly and perfectly applicable to what I'm going to be doing, making money. Um, and it's what I want to do anyway. It's what I love doing. So now my whole life is kind of pointed at my career rather than my career being some separate Island. That's kind of remotely, you know, there's a boat that brings money over once in a while. It's like, it's all the same thing now, um, which is, which is a much more beautiful way to live. Yeah, yeah. I've done actually kind of pretty similar exercises. Did you have like a format that you were following or were you just kind of asking yourself these kind of prompted questions or? Yeah, I have, I have like dozens of them. So I, I put them all together and I use them with my coaching clients now. Um, but the one that I could talk about right away is this is the first, well, this is the second exercise that I have everybody do. Um, but it's literally, it's, it's super simple. It's just a, it's just a one page piece of paper. And it's got like maybe 30 or 40 or 50 values written on it. Like the ones I mentioned, you know, freedom, security, community, nature, um, all of these values. And then you go through it and you basically circle all the ones that stand out to you. And then you keep crossing out until you're left with three that are the most important to you. And I did this exercise. I've probably done that exercise a dozen times, but um, the ones that kept coming up were freedom, authenticity, and integrity for me, you know, and the reason is largely because that's not how I lived my life. The first 30 years of my life, you know, um, those values, although they were always calling to me, I betrayed them every day, all the time. And, you know, when you have your highest values sort of defined, you can then begin to direct the rest of your life at it. And then you, then you say, okay, how can I use my skill stack to point at that in a way that gives me the life that I want? And, um, yeah, so the, the skill stack's another exercise. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. There's, there's really, like, there's, there's dozens of them that I use, but there's kind of what you, want to, what you want to be able to do is isolate your skills, isolate what you love doing, combine those things in a way that's monetizable and point them towards the world that you want to see. So if you think the world should have more strength and freedom, figure out a way to use your skills and passions and monetize them in a way that produces a world with more strength and freedom. And if you do that, 
even on those days where you're feeling kind of shitty and you have low motivation and you ate some stuff you shouldn't have eaten. So your energy is super low. You know, you're, you're still going to wake up and be driven to go towards that because if you figure out what's most important to you in the world and what's most important to you in your own life, and you can make money doing those things, like you're not going to lose energy. Like you're going to keep going until you get some results, whatever those might be. Yeah. Yeah. And just having something to work towards, you know, like just having something that you're going towards. Cause I know like so many, so many of my friends, you know, they have troubles getting out of bed and um, I mean, like if you were to ask my girlfriend, I literally like the second the alarm goes off, I'm like, all right, let's get up. Like that's how yeah, I, I see your, uh, your, your wake up times on Instagram. It's an inspiration. I will dude. Yeah, the thing is, it. is I'm literally just genuinely excited for the day. Most of the time, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, Amazing. I'm just excited for what I get to do because like, even this, I was thinking about this last night, you know, I'm like, Oh, I get to go on and have Unreal. a conversation. So for me, like yeah. I was, my whole morning was like, okay, I'm going to get a good workout in. I, I had another Zoom yeah, yeah, call before me this. Too. And, yeah. and I was like, dude, yes, I get to, you know, I'm fired up. If I get a good workout in, I'll be able to sit still for a good hour and just like sit down and chat. Yeah. Like, this is, yeah. uh, you know, in a, in a place that's still playing pandemic, dude, this is a good way for me to even get socialization in. So it's something yeah. that I look forward to, right? Truth. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, part of why you have so much energy is that you you've defined like what your heaven looks like, what your good life looks like. Right. But most people, most people don't have that. And the reason is, you know, they're motivated by fear and scarcity, right? It's like, if I don't wake up, then I won't be able to get to work on time and I might get fired. So, so they're running from hell and that's their motivation. Right. And what I try to teach people to do is switch from running from hell to running towards heaven. And in order to do that, you actually have to define what heaven is. You have to know you like working in a gym. You have to know you like podcasting. You have to know that even in a time of like playing pandemic, you have to get your socializing in somehow. And if you can define all that and you can say, you know what, that's actually a really beautiful life. I'd love to live that way. That would get me excited to get out of bed in the morning. You don't have to be motivated by your boss getting pissed at you if you're late anymore, because you have your own vision. That's a strong enough pull that you're going to be moving towards that rather than just saying, okay, that's shitty and I'm afraid of it. So I guess I'll like drag my ass enough to avoid that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it took me yeah. so long to kind of leave that, that uh, corporate world and then come back to construction where it's, it's kind of been nice now where we're, you know, for the most part, like, uh, yeah, we, we want to get as early as possible so that we can finish earlier. Like the guys that I work with are like, yeah. and we want to beat traffic on the way home. So it's, it's been nice. Oh, yeah. I'm typically a morning person anyways. So we've all been getting along that way. Like, it's like, should we do a 7am start? Should we do 6.30 start? Like we'll get after it pretty much just follow city bylaws, but when we can make noise, but, um, Oh yeah, I guess so. But what was I going to say? Oh, I was going to ask you actually, because, um, I like what you were saying about, you know, like running away from hell or chasing towards heaven. And Mm -hmm. I know like, um, for myself, like I kind of lived like the first part of my life pretty much until I was about like 22, 23, I'm 27 now. Um, but it was like, I lived with no kind of, I didn't give any, sh- like a shit about anything. Like I was like, I kind of had this yeah. like a attitude towards like, you know, I'm not really good at anything. Like everyone seems to be smarter than me or stronger than me, faster than me. Like, so it was like, if mm-hmm. I can't be number one, or if I can't be recognized mm-hmm. for my accolades, like why try, like why give mm-hmm. any effort? And then, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, it kind of the, the, uh, the pendulum swung the other way. 
right? Mm-hmm. And and I started being like, okay, like now everything has to be structured. There has to be 110% effort in every single thing. Like my schedule has to be to a T. Beautiful. And um, well, it, it's created like this really rigid mindset to, to sometimes where it's like, um, it's just been brought to my attention recently, just the kind of through like similar exercises you're talking about and just conversations with loved ones. And it's like, now I've got to kind of find you know, a way to navigate around this issue where I'm like, kind of like everything has an inherent good or bad attached to it. Like, oh, I'm not doing that. That's bad. Or I'm not doing this, or I only do this, you know? Like, and so now it's kind of like trying to figure out, like, I don't want the pendulum to swing all the way back to the other side, but like trying to find a way to navigate around that. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Are, are you afraid that if you, like, if you let off the gas a little bit, then you'll collapse back to, you know, somebody who's very undisciplined, like he used to be or, or something like that. Yeah. It's almost like, dude, like if I, if I stop doing this like full structure thing, then like, I'm just never going to actually uh, realize the actual goals that I've tried to set for myself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a very hard balance to strike. And I think, you know, when people ask me that question, what I always, I, I use a jujitsu analogy. It's like, it depends where you're at. I mean, some people, um, they need that rigidity in order to stay on track and that's okay. Right. I mean, all things in moderation and including moderation, like I'm not, I'm not a person who does moderation. Well, um, like it's, it's far easier for me to never, ever, ever cheat on my, on my diet than to have like a cheat day once a week. Um, if I never, ever cheat, I can do it almost indefinitely with like tiny little fuck ups once in a while. If I say I'm going to have like a cheat day, uh, or I'm going to have a rest day from the gym, like every this day of the week. Um, I give myself excuses. I say, well, you know, I already had that yesterday. I might as well today. It's like, I just, I work better full out than I do uh, with like balance. And for me, that's wonderful. And anyway, so the, 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 the jujitsu analogy that I use is, you know, it, it depends where you're at. I mean, if you've been doing this for a while, which you have, um, you don't have to give yourself the same breaks that a white belt gives themselves. Right. Like if you start small and over time you build up your daily routine, you build up your schedule, you build up your dietary habits and your fitness habits to such an elite level. Um, it doesn't make sense for you to go back three or four steps just to satisfy some idea of balance that may or may not work for you. Now that said, you have to also look at the signs in your life for burnout. Like, is this feeding your soul? Like, do you wake up every day happy or, or, or have you noticed that there's like a, a decline, like a, like a secular long-term decline in your, in your inner energy? Are you starting to think, okay, you know what? I, I, I don't like going to the gym. It's not enriching my life anymore. Waking up this early in the morning, it's not enriching my life anymore. Like I, I did the 4.30 AM thing for, you know, most of a year, but I have kids that regularly don't go to bed when they're supposed to. And then, you know, I'm up, I, I finally get to sleep at 1130 and then they wake up at two in the morning for an hour. And so it's like, you know, you have three hours of sleep, four nights in a row. It's like, okay, you know, maybe I, maybe I should be getting up at 6.30 instead. Maybe that's more realistic. And so, you know, you have to allow yourself those pivots, but don't wake up a morning tired and be like, oh, F it, I'm going back to sleep for two hours. What you have to do is take a few days and be like, okay, do I want to shift 4.30 to 6.30? And if you can make that a conscious decision, not a momentary self-indulgent, but a conscious decision when you're in your right mind, then, you know, that's a good sign to back off. Yeah, I kind of that, that was like, I, I definitely had to play around a lot with my wake up time because like it was like times where I was up at like four every single day. 
Um, I started off with being up at like six every single day because I, I basically was at a point where it was um, right after I had quit working at the gym that I was working at. So this was back in like 2018. And so I had no structure in my life whatsoever. And so I'm basically like, I'm living at home in my parents' place, waking up at 11 o'clock in the, in the morning and just like smoking weed all yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so I was like, that, that was the first thing I attacked when I was like, I need to get some fucking structure in my life, man. Like, so for me, it was like, I, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. every single day. And that was like mm -hmm. my early at that point. You know, that was my early. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I did 8 8.30 was my early at, at one time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then it was dialed yeah. all the way where I was like waking up at four o'clock on the dot every single day. Now it's like kind of found an equilibrium around like 445, 430-ish. Like I'm up around like my rule is basically just like before five. If I can get up before Beautiful. five, then I'm good. Like that's like yeah. kind of for me. So sometimes I wake up and I'm excited. I'm up at like 405, 410. And then sometimes I'm like, I'm gonna sleep a little bit later. But like you said. Like there is the odd day where I'm like, I fucking slept like a week ago. I slept until like seven 30, you know, which obviously for most people is like, that's still pretty early. But for me, it's mm -hmm. three hours past my average time. So if you normally wake mm -hmm. up at seven, like it's the same as waking up at like 10 30, 11. You yeah. Know? So yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, like you said, like there's definitely times where it's like, yeah, I, I needed more sleep that time. You know, I get yeah. to bed later then I yeah. need more sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there, there are so many times where I have given myself that extra sleep just because it's so easy when the alarm goes off to say, I'm going to wake up or sorry, I'm, I'm going to go back to sleep because in that moment, so often I feel like sleeping more. Um, and it feels good. And sometimes you do it, but you have to learn, you know, you have to know yourself well enough to know you know, am I doing this because I need more rest because I've been hitting the gym hard. I've been burning the candles at both ends. I've had late nights. I've been working hard, you know, and I, I need extra sleep and to give yourself permission to have that extra sleep, but to distinguish that voice of self-care from that boy, that voice of self-indulgence, which says, Oh, it'd be really good. Like the be bed's warm. It's cold outside. Like it's lag day. I don't really want to go. Like maybe we'll just take an extra two hours. And like, I had to make that mistake thousands of times before I could like literally thousands of times before I could distinguish the voice of self-care from the voice of self-indulgence. And, and something I've realized now, which is really interesting is I feel way worse when I get like a really long sleep. Like if I get like eight hours in bed is perfect for me because I'll sleep like six and a half hours or so six and a half, seven hours. But if I get eight or nine hours of sleep, although I feel way more rested, I'm less productive. My mood's shitty. I have way less like motivation. It's funny. Like I have to be, I have to feel like I'm in, I'm in like a five or 10% rest deficit in order to function at my best. Maybe it's some evolutionary thing where like, you know, it's like you, you, you can only hunt if you like, if you're in like a scarce mindset or something, I don't know, but if I'm well rested, I don't have a good day and I, and I get less done. So I keep myself a little bit tired. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually, I resonate with that really well. I, um, I always think that I function best off like seven hours of sleep is like, yeah, everyone says eight. I'm like, I feel seven, man. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm my, my body wants that. 10, but I feel seven, like seven is how I function best. Even like what you said, man, because when I when I have those sleeping days, I wake up and those are the days where I feel like the most anxious, like I can't focus. I'm kind of like mm -hmm. foggy minded and I'm just mm -hmm. consistently thinking like, what am I supposed to be doing? 
what am I, you know, like I'm always making hundred percent. I'm always somebody that makes checklists. Like I always have like kind of a like list going all the time, right beside me. Like I have a pen and paper usually. And, mm-hmm. uh, but those days where I sleep in more, I'm like, man, what the fuck am I supposed to be doing again? Like, it kind of gives me this anxiety. Yeah. Like I'm supposed to be somewhere or be doing something that I'm yeah. not doing. You know what I mean? Like, it's like that constant 100%. worry. Like, I, I don't even make the lists on those days. Cause I, I, I it, it might be something to do with the fact that your physiology is like, okay, we have no needs right now. We're well-fed. We're super well-rested. We need nothing. Like, and then that part of you that wants to get up and go do something just doesn't do it. Like I literally don't even make my to-do list on those days. Mm-hmm. And which means I don't do it as much as I'm supposed to do. So yeah, I keep myself a little, little, a little, a small sleep deficit. Yeah. And it's also, those are the days where I compromise the absolute most. Like I'm always like, like you were saying, yeah. like, Oh, it's leg day today. Like for me, that would be like, Oh, I'm going to be burning so many more calories than normal. You know, like, yeah. like yeah, I'm yeah, going yeah. well, to, there's always a reason there's if I want to train to super hard, then I should just like maybe hit snooze and yeah. nap for another more hour, you know, yeah. have some oh, yeah. lucky charms we're, for we're, breakfast. We're smart fuckers. Like we, we can come up with the reason. Like if I, if I want a reason to sleep in, I'm not going to come up with some bullshit reason. I'm going to come up with like a bulletproof, really good reason where I'm going to be like, yeah, I should definitely go back to bed for two hours. Yeah. And yeah. if Mark asks me, he should have told me to go to, he would have told me to go to bed for three hours. You know what I mean? Like you'll come, right. right. such a, you'll come up with That's such right. a good yeah. excuse where I'd be like, bro, you need to nap yeah. for a day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We are self-rationalizing machines. That is for sure. Yeah. And is that like yeah. the kind of stuff that you're trying to help people through, like kind of making those kind of yeah. distinctions between those, those two like voices in your head? Yeah. And, and wake ups, um, wake ups, Getting a call here. Sorry. No, no, you're all good. Um, yeah, sorry. Um, wake ups are actually one of the first things that I work on with clients. So, um, the very first week of my 12 week program, we set a time and, you know, back to that jujitsu analogy, it's like, okay, if you enter into my program, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time figuring out what time of day you're going to work on, but you're going to wake up. Like you've got that dialed in. But if you're a person who wakes up at like between let's say nine and 10 every day, cause you're working from home or nine and 11, we're probably not going to say, let's start at 4am. We're probably going to say, okay, well, this is what I always do. What is the earliest time that you could wake up? that you would feel proud of and you'd feel like it's an accomplishment compared to your average day. And the first answer people give is like 5 a.m. I'm like, no, no, realistically, like if you woke up at 8.15, would you feel pretty good about that? And then they're a little bit ashamed of like, well, yeah, I'd actually feel pretty good about 8.15. It's like, okay, so let's start at 8.15 and we'll do that for a week. And once we get used to that, at the end of the week, we'll reassess and maybe we'll go to 7.30. Maybe we'll go to 8.10. You know, we'll figure it out. But I think waking up at the same time every day and waking up a little earlier than you want to and starting your day with a conscious choice to choose discomfort rather than just defaulting to whatever feels good in the moment that sets up your whole day. So that's definitely something I work on because I don't, although, you know, I'm definitely in the career coaching space. Um, the reason I'm doing that is because I want to help people find their purpose in life. And for men uh, and women with more masculine energy for, for people with masculine energy, which is like the, the more action oriented energy, um, your career is almost inextricable from your purpose in life. And so when people ask me, you know, like, well, how do I do this resume thing? What about cover letters? How do I network in order to find, you know, the person who's doing the hiring? Like I help people with that stuff, but it's really not that it's not to most people's surprise. It's not that much of what I do in my program. Most of what I do is like 
help people dial in who they are and elevate their daily habits, their characteristics, their understanding of their own internal world to such a high degree that the income and the career that they want are inevitable and they don't have to worry about a resume or a cover letter, cover letter hack. So yeah, like week one is like figuring out your morning routine. Week two is figuring out, you know, fitness. And for you again, you know, you wouldn't need a whole lot of help figuring that out. But for the average person, like, no, I don't think the best thing that you can do is do like an hour of hit every single morning at 5 a.m. Like, like if you, if you never work out, start with like 10 push-ups and 20 bodyweight squats and do that for a week because you're, you're, we're getting your white belt. Right. And then after you've done that for a week or two, we'll give you a stripe and we'll, and we'll move it up a little bit. And then by the end of the 90 days, you'll figure out a fitness routine that works specifically for you because you co-designed it with me. And by the end, maybe you'll be a blue belt. Maybe you'll be doing like something a little bit more advanced. Um, but at least you'll have something that maybe where before you didn't have anything. And so it's, it's very much, um, the kind of a total human optimization program disguised as a, as a career advancement program. Yeah. And, and do you find like, a, cause of what I notice is like, you kind of have this, uh, very gradual kind of way of going about it. Mm-hmm. Like, do you find that that works a lot better? Have you had like kind of, uh, experience with yourself or with other people where it's like, you do like that 180 switch or you yeah. you're just like cold Turkey have you kind of yeah. like compared them? I mean, I've gone cold turkey. Like I, I stopped drinking and that was cold turkey. I mean, I'll have like a sip of my wife's wine here and there. But um, like sometimes when you're ready to make a massive change, there's character shifts that take place. And I can recognize those in people where it's like, okay, you've, you've leveled up in terms of your consciousness, in terms of your moral fiber. You're now a slightly different person than you used to be. And that old habit you have, it doesn't fit with who you are anymore. Drop it cold turkey. But if you tell somebody where they're not ready to just adopt a positive lifestyle change or give up a negative lifestyle change and who they are, like their inner character isn't ready for that, it's not going to last. And so you, you see all these people that go through coaching programs specifically. And during those two months, like it's amazing, they lose weight or they, you know, they're happier in their relationship. They, they work harder at the office, whatever it might be. But after those 80 days, they just go back to how they were before. Because no inner shift took place. They just, they just tagged on some external, ha- external habits. And so my program works where, where the first month we're kind of spent reprogramming people's, people's inner, inner beliefs um, and getting rid of some of the junk that's in there. And then we put together all these routines and habits and we A-B test them. So by the time they get to the end of the program, um, you know, they're not eating the diet that I told them they should eat. They're eating a diet that works really, really well for them. And they've progressed from white belt to blue belt, to purple belt, and they know how to get to brown belt and black belt on their own. And they can do that. And even the amount of time I work with clients, like I do one hour a week for the first month, 40 hours a week for the second month, 20 minutes a week for the third month in terms of just the, the, uh, the private meeting spoken part of it, because the idea is that after 90 days, you should be self-sufficient. And the way to get there is to start small and then continue to, to, to build over time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that a lot, man. And it's, it kind of changes my perspective as well with some of the friends that I've kind of, you know, kind of had reach out to me that I've tried giving advice to because I, there's different people where I'm like, Oh, this guy will do a cold Turkey approach. Whereas like this person needs a gradual approach. And then like the yeah. person that I thought would do well with another approach, like they completely fail at it or there's like, they're like yeah. super six, they like supersede expectations with like a separate approach where you're like, Wow, yeah. I didn't think you could just compound small things like that and just grow yeah. so exponentially. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're a jujitsu guy, so I can keep beating the jujitsu analogy to death. But um, 
like if if you show up, you've never taken a class of jiu-jitsu in your life, and you go to the black belt class, and they're teaching you, you know, to invert and do some barabolo into a heel hook, into a back take or whatever, it's like, you're not going to learn a thing. You're not going to learn anything, right? Like you have to learn, first of all, to shrimp, to hip bump. You know, you have to learn what guard is. You have to learn what a guard pass is, right? And until you have those foundational concepts, like there's no point in trying to be a black belt because you're not going to learn anything. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to get beat up. Um, you're going you're gonna to deplete your energy and you're going to quit. And then you're going to be even worse off than when you started. So people have to, first of all, you know, figure out where they're at. And that's hard for people, for people because being honest about where we're at in life, um, it's incredibly difficult to be honest with yourself. It's, it's far easier to be honest with other people than it is to be honest with yourself. But if you can you know, go through some basic exercises or work with somebody who can help you and figure out, you know, where am I really at? Am I, am I really awake up at 5 a.m. every day for the rest of my life guy? Or am I maybe like just try to get out of bed at 10 a.m. every day for like a week in a row? Like who, who am I really right now? Because it's okay to not be a black belt in something you've never fucking tried before, right? And yeah. people have this idea that they're like, well, I feel pathetic and weak right now and I'm not fulfilled with who I am. So I've got to be like that guy. I've got to be like Jocko Willink. And so I've got to be like Jocko Willink by, you know, Tuesday at 5.13 a.m. It's like, you're probably not going to be Jocko by Tuesday at 5.13 a.m. You know, like, how about if you could be like a small fragment of who that man is in six months? Like, would you be happier than where you're at right now? It's like, yeah, but I wouldn't be really happy about that. It's like, well, would you be happier than where you're at now? It's like, yeah. It's like, well, do that. Like, give yourself those wins. Like, start stacking wins because if you stack enough wins, the confidence and the motivation and the productivity and the continuity and consistency, those things will all come. Like, but just start stacking wins as small as they are and, hum and be humble. Like, be okay with stacking small wins because you're not going to go to the gym and bench press 250 pounds the first time you go right? Like you, it's not going to happen. So like bench what you can bench. And then if next week you can add a two and a half pound plate on each side, like give yourself a pat on the back and celebrate it. Even if that only brings your bench up to like 70 pounds, whatever, just celebrate it. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And even that, like, kind of that, like knowing who you are, knowing your identity like that, even, even that can be fluid, right? Like there's, I'm sure oh, yeah. like um, the person that you wanted to be when you were like 16 is completely different than who you wanted to be. I don't know when you had kids, what stage or what age you were at, but like, you know, I'm sure that that was a huge milestone in your life where you're like, holy shit, I have a complete different set of priorities now. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, that's for sure. So it's like that identity or that shift towards like who, uh, which version of Mark do I want to be? Like, I'm sure by the time, you know, when I get married or when I have children or when I'm, you know, when I'm a homeowner or whatever, the, all of those milestones will create kind of like a new, you know, setting for who I want to be. Like that, that, that idea could completely change. Yeah. And who you are, you know, it changes massively by, by the stage of life you're at. And it also changes over time as you get to know yourself better. And as the external forces in life shape your internal world. Right. And, um, and you have to learn those things, right. Cause you know, when I, when I chose the career that I, that I started in, I didn't choose it because I thought it was necessarily a wonderful fit for me. Like I didn't, I didn't know a thing about myself. All I knew is like at the time, okay. You know, my wife is pregnant. I have no real job at this point. And this is a job where I can at least make money and I've got an in to get started. So I'll just choose that by default. And then you wake up 10 years later and you're like, well, this, this, I didn't choose this because it, it's good for me. Right. So it's really helpful to get to know yourself. And 
you know, one of the other exercises I take people through, and I think this is super important for people to do this. Um, this is part of my ideal self exercises um, is like, what were, what are, what are the things that you were interested in as a kid? Right. And cause those are the things that might stay constant through your life. Even as your identity shifts and changes, there's certain things that'll stay constant during your life. And, you know, when I was a kid, like I'll, I'll give a random example. I, I always wanted to be a ninja. And I thought like everybody wanted that's just like kids want to be ninjas, but it's like, no, some kids don't want to be ninjas. Some kids want to be basketball players or astronauts or scientists. Right. I wanted to be a ninja. And I ignored that my whole life because I'm obviously not going to be a ninja, but it was calling to me and calling to me and calling to me. And in my late twenties, I finally signed up for jujitsu and it altered my life in so way, so many ways doing that. And if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't found that outlet for like my ninja self, um, I would not be as full a person as I am now, right? I was also interested in art as a kid. And, you know, now my new job, I'm creating content, I'm writing, um, it's very creative. So like that part of me is fulfilled. But so there are, there are these things in your life that as much as your identity can change and will change over time, there are constants. And I think those are the things that you kind of have to build your life and build your career around. Because if those things that have been calling to you since you're a small kid, if those aren't fulfilled, you're going to lead a shallow, shallow life and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get to the end of life, and you might not have any idea who you even are, or who you could have been if you lived according to who you actually are meant to be. Yeah, yeah. I never thought of it like that. Actually, I like the way that you said that because if you think about, like, well, if I think about like myself as a child, like it's it definitely like I I would have been thought of or known as probably like a class clown, like always talking yeah, off in too. the corner. You know what I mean? Yeah. So naturally gravitating towards podcasts, like it kind of makes sense, you know, like I like the way you said that, but the, the disheartening part about that, the truth behind that, when I think about it is like a lot of those things that we like gravitate towards, especially as like young boys are things that we're condemned for. So then we have this like feeling like, Oh, maybe I should shut my mouth. Maybe I shouldn't say things that Mm -hmm. piss people off, Mm -hmm. even though it might get my friends to laugh. Like it's going to make these other Mm -hmm. people uncomfortable. Like maybe I shouldn't do that. Like we get condemned for the things that we naturally like gravitate towards. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I could, I could do a whole podcast on the public school system, which my kids are not in. Um, which I was like destroyed by. I was, I, I switched schools so many times. I was kicked out of classes. I was like in alternate programs. Like I, I joined the gifted program and immediately got kicked out of that. And like it, it, school is a disaster for me because, you know, my personality and my temperament, there's no fucking way I'm sitting in a desk for six hours a day at age eight and like learning about stuff that I don't care about that might be completely uninteresting to me or might be something that I've already learned and I'm way more advanced than whatever they're teaching. It's like, but well, in this group of 30 kids, this is what we're learning today. So sit down, shut up, stop moving. It's like, okay, I've got ADD. I'm eating all kinds of shit food, which I didn't realize, which is going to set off my ADD like crazy. It's not possible for me to sit still on my desk for six hours a day at that age. It was not possible. Now with like the way I eat, maybe I can pull it off. But like back then eating all the stuff that I didn't know I was sensitive to, like that's a recipe for incredible mental dis-ease. And I definitely had that my whole childhood. It was a disaster. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. the way you say that, man, because I, I know that you and I have probably made some similar shifts in terms of like our dietary, like the food that we consume. And I yeah. know for myself, like brain fog is like one of the things that definitely has been cured for me. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't say cured. I'd say mitigated for sure. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, what, what do you eat? 
I eat for the most part, like I'd say it's like a carnivore ish diet. I eat like a lot of yeah, me uh, meat, fruit, eggs. I eat a little bit of dairy. Um, and then like typically like maybe once a week I'll have like a little cheat meal with my girlfriend kind of thing. We'll have like a movie night, but for the most part, yeah, it's just like fatty meat in the morning with eggs and then steaks for dinner and lunch and then fruit throughout the day if I get hungry. Yeah. It could be worse. Yeah. And, but I think back to like the foods that we ate as kids, like I remember being in a disaster in school. Like I remember secondary school wasn't too too bad by like grade 11 12 i figured it out like i i figured out how to play the game enough that like i could skate through you know not not really piss too many people off and just kind of sit in the back of class like that was where like i started to get comfortable you know grade 11 12 was where i was like all right cool i can get through this 15 years later you figured it out nice work yeah yeah yeah, exactly but like the first the first like 15 exactly what you said man like the first like I remember elementary school was just torture for me, like literally yeah, it torture. Is. And it is torture. Like yeah. we were, it's a horrific yeah. thing to do to a young child. Yeah. Dude, I, I live with a, a guy that I grew up with, my roommate. I, I, I went to preschool with him, kindergarten, elementary school. Like we, oh, super cool. And we were talking the other day about like going camping with our school. Like we had a really small school. So we had like this like grade seven camping trip. And uh, like one of the kids in the cabin got pushed out the window and there was like all these different things and like realistically like it was the true essence of the saying boys will be boys you know like we're yeah. just like <laughs> a bunch of 11 yeah. and 12 year old kids out in the woods for, the, for yeah. like seemingly the first time for a lot of people and yeah. like yeah of course we're gonna rough house we're gonna play around like you can't yeah. just put kids in the woods and expect them not no. to push each other and have fun you know like and uh just like kind of talking about all of those times i'm like Man, I can't believe like people expect to just put animals like young little boys in little desks yeah. and be like, shut yeah. up and stop talking. Yeah. Yeah. Like we would think that's animal cruelty to like do that to like chimpanzees. I was just going to say, like, you're talking about your camping trip. I went on a camping trip with school in grade 10 and I literally, I didn't know this is possible. I failed the camping trip. I got an F on the camping trip. It's like brought down my park. So like breaking trees or something. I don't know. Um, but I yeah. Failed I failed camping. Yeah. I, and I got my grade. I'm like, what do you mean I failed it? He's like, well, you're breaking trees. And I was like, well, yeah, I was breaking trees. Like some campers do that. Yeah. Some campers do yeah. that. No. So was Brandon, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, like my son goes to a school, um, you know, who Tim Kennedy is. Yeah. 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 So Tim Kennedy has a school in Austin and that's where my son goes. He has a school. And yeah, it's called Apogee and um, there's no grades. It's a multi-age classroom. Um, so his classroom is kind of like roughly age seven, depending on where you're at, like they'll move kids up or down to roughly age like 11 or 12. Older kids help the younger kids, younger kids get helped by the older kids. It's all self-directed education. It's all based, based towards the things that you're interested in. Um, and the idea is that by the time you graduate, you know, at age 17 ish, um, you haven't acquired a baseline level of skills in a set curriculum. You know, it's not like, you know, because public schools, like by the time you graduate, you should have a basic understanding of math, of reading, of history, whatever. Um, the goal of this school is by the time you're 17, you, you want to have fully figured out who you are to such a degree that you can give your unique, your unique, your unique offering to the world. So that you know, every kid's got some unique calibration in life. And if you get that right, what they offer the world is what they're meant to offer the world. And so that's what this school is trying to do. And so it's very unstructured. Um, the kids discipline each other. 
so they like the 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 parent the, the the guides they call them don't like get them in trouble they don't like like say you know ask to go to the bathroom and all that the kids make their own rules they hold each other accountable to their own rules and another thing that i like about it is the public school aside from the insanity of just making kids sit in desks all day and then cutting recess or cutting gym class if they're bad um like throwing 30 kids that are the exact same age in a single classroom is such a crazy idea when you look at like how how kids develop you look at tribal societies you don't have 32 seven-year-olds spending most of their waking time together right it's like it's like a four-year-old a seven-year-old a two-year-old a nine-year-old a 12-year-old and they learn to play and socialize each other like that that's how humans are meant to develop this whole like putting them all in the same classroom these artificial hierarchies develop that are just vicious and kids get left at the bottom and they stay at the bottom the rest of their life and it's it's a it's a horrific system like you look at how it was developed and everything it's it's not a it's not a kind or a safe way to treat human beings yeah yeah and even like uh it's interesting when you when you first said like the kids hold each other accountable and they discipline each other i was thinking like man that would really lead to a lot of ugly situations but then i was also thinking like sort of maybe but also like um i know the child the type of child i was like you don't even listen to your teachers anyways. Like you don't listen to your, your coaches that much. You don't listen to your teachers. You don't listen to your parents. Like the only people you actually get advice from are your peers. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they're all at exactly the same level of development that you are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, Oh, I'm going to trust fucking Billy over here. Fuck what my parents say. Yeah. Billy's got an older brother. So like he knows his shit. Yeah. He's oh, and he's in grade 10. So I'm set. I'm light years ahead of my peers. Yeah. And, it, and in, in an Asher school, like if one kid is, you know, taking advantage of like the self-discipline system and he's, you know, taking away points from one kid or from a bunch of kids, the other kids are going to notice that and they're going to take points away from him more easily. So it kind of, it, it like self-regulates, right? Cause it's like, okay, this guy, he took away points from us three last week. So like, we're going to find an excuse to take away points from him because we feel like it was unfair. But if you, but, but what happens is it's crazy. Like Asher will come home and be like, yeah, you know, I lost the point today because this happened. I'm like, oh yeah. And like, how do you feel about that? Well, I deserved it. So like, I went up to him and I said, sorry. And he said it was okay. And like, so that's fine. And like, they actually start learning when they actually did something wrong because the punishment tends to match the crime. Whereas in school growing up, it's like the punishment was just a matter of like, you know, how, what kind of mood the teacher was in that day. If she was hung over, if she was pissed off, you know, if, if it was a later class in the day, like, I never felt a sense of justice when I got in trouble. I always felt like, oh, the teacher's just mad at me. It never felt like, oh, this is a punishment because I did something wrong. It rarely felt that way. It was either I got caught and I, I was pissed because I got caught or I was just mad at the teacher. It never felt like it was any, like, like justice had anything to do with it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that, man. It's so cool because it's basically teaching them like, all right, here's the implications of your actions. And like, because you see it happen, like, Oh, this guy said this to me, so I felt like this, you know. And it's yeah. like, well, the exact same. Like, how do you anticipate that person felt when you said that? You know, like it yeah, kind of exactly. teaches them all the implications of like the the accountability of your own actions. Where it's like, uh, yeah, I feel like that skipped out on so much recently. Like, I, I know, like our entire, like I, I feel like I, I can say, like our entire generation lacks that accountability. Where they're like, oh, but I said this because he pissed me off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in school, you're taught basically to obey and to, and to follow the authority. You're not taught like 
in ASHRA school, they decide what the priorities for the class are. They decide who gets what duties, who cleans up at the end of the day, when they stop learning, when they break for lunch. Like the kids all decide that together. And when they want to, like they wanted a microwave, so they had to figure out how to get money for a microwave. When they um, want to do like a big um, project as a class, they decide as a class what project they're going to do. The teacher doesn't come in and say, this is what we're doing today. Like the kids have to develop that sense themselves. So even at home now, like we just moved into this house a few days ago. And the first thing Asher did was like, Congratulations. This is, thank you, sir. Well, <laughs> we're renting it, but yeah. Um, uh, the first thing Asher did was like go into his room and fold his clothes and put them all away and like get his room set up and put his books out and everything. Because that's, and that's not like, that, 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 that is not natural to him. He's got like five times the ADD that I did when I was a kid. And then I go in there later and he's like journaling by lamplight at his desk. And it's like, because, you know, these, these are the things that, I mean, he sees me doing that too, but these are the things that he's learning to take responsibility for himself. He's not just learning how to obey, which is not a very good skill to learn for most people. Yeah. It's more like the accountability of like, all right, these are the things that I have to do every single day. Not just like, these are the things that dad tells me to do, or I don't get to fucking, you know, do whatever yeah. things I like to exactly. do. Exactly. Exactly. That's so yeah. cool, man. I wish I learned that. I literally didn't get in the habit of like brushing my teeth and making my bed first thing in the morning until literally like last year. <laughs> oh yeah. I was, I was about 30. Yeah. I'm 35 now. Yeah. I was about 30, which is, which is insane. Like when you, when you start doing it, you're like, that's crazy. I didn't do that for my entire twenties. Oh yeah. Yeah. I crazy. know. It's absolutely insane. Um, yeah, man, before I let you go, I wanted to kind of like kind of pick apart your brain as well, like where you think like that, like kind of do you think that you're you're the next generation? Do you think like your son will kind of have like a similar calling to you as well and, and just kind of be able to, um, you know, kind of put that into his idea where he's like, I know exactly who like kind of who I want to be. Or do you think that even with all of this programming, like I think um, do you think it's inevitable that we have this kind of identity crisis around our like twenties as men? Mm -hmm. I do think it's inevitable as men um, that you have a crisis or a series of crises until you become a man. Right. And one of the major reasons why I think that happens with men, aside from, you know, the fact that we're taught to obey rather than to take responsibility um, we're taught that we're not that important. And like the most important thing that we can do is be quiet and sit down and shut up and give other people space to talk aside from stripping away everything that makes men happy, which you know, we could, we could obviously talk about that a lot. And there's a reason why guys like Jocko, Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson are now, you know, household names. Um, but there's no rite of passage for men anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, my rite of passage was a time where, I lived so irresponsibly and so shamefully and so self-indulgently that my life collapsed. I was separated from my wife. I was alcoholic. Um, my job was going terribly at the time. And, you know, then I rebuilt myself. And so that was my rite of passage. And that didn't happen until I was in my thirties. Right. But um, if we have rites of passage, which I, which I already have planned for my son at various ages, where he tests himself, where he gets terrified of failure, where he gets to the point where he's like, okay, I might not have what it takes to do this. Like I might've just failed. Like I, I might be a failure. And then he finds his way through that dark night of the soul and he comes up and he overcomes whatever the obstacle is. Um, 
I think that'll do a ton to cement someone's identity because you, your identity only gets cemented in times of crisis. Like for, forming an identity, running around with rainbows, with, with unicorns under rainbows, like that's that's not going to happen. And so I think the fact that you know the closest thing we have to a rite of passage that most guys go through is like graduating high school, and that just means like okay, I'm finally done this thing that I totally hate. So I'm going to get blackout drunk with a bunch of guys my age and like maybe fuck the rest of my life up, right? Like, um, yeah. like we don't have healthy rites of passage. So um, I'm going to take my son through several of those at, at key ages. Even, even this year, he turned nine, like I bought him a BB gun. You know, we went out shooting um, because a BB gun can like, he can hurt himself with it. He can hurt other people with it. And I think that's important for him to know that he has that capacity and to, and to walk around with that knowledge that like my actions make a difference because bad or good things can happen because of them. Um, so yeah, I would say rite of passages is, is a huge thing to avoid that identity crisis um, by actually forming an identity. Yeah. And just kind of consistently testing yourself like in different areas of your life, right? Like it's, you know, you when we hear about like uh, the Cam Haynes, the David Goggins, we're like, oh, I have to go and run a hundred miles. You know, yeah. like it's like you always hear about those things where it's like, how about starting with that? T- like you said, like, how about starting with that tough conversation with your partner? How about like, like, what can yeah. I do better? Like asking them like, hey, where can I improve? Mm-hmm. Like, instead of being this like fucking macho fucking, you know, yeah. like for myself, I can only speak for myself where I'm like, oh, I'm a great catch. Like what I don't need to improve. They need to adapt to me. Like, it's like almost <laughs> like a, you got to yeah. go back and be like, hey, um, maybe I do have some room for improvement. And like, where do you think I should start? And they're like, oh, yeah, you got fucking. Yeah. yeah. And if your partner tells you that, like, you know, you're kind of good, like nothing's wrong. Uh, she's lying to you. And she's not happy. Like, and my wife told me that for a long time and I believed her. And then, you know, the collapse happened and it was like, oh shit, you know, the fact that I'm an irresponsible, shameful little boy and like you depend on me as the other half of this partnership, like, yeah, you're not okay with who I was. And yeah, and I think that's, my whole journey started this way. And I think, you know, if there's one one kind of thought to leave everybody with, um, it's like, if you're not sure how to progress to the next level, in your life, your career, your relationships, anything like you were alluding to, the most important thing you can do is to close your eyes and be like, what am I fucking up right now that I kind of know I am fucking up and that I should stop doing. And it's really hard to ask yourself that question because it's hard to listen to all the voices in your head. We've got so many competing voices and so much data and information coming at us all day that our brains are scrambled. Um, but the best way to do that is to, is to ask that question and then whatever answer you really, really, really don't want, that answer that you kind of throw away right away and you, and you turn your head away and you're like, no, 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 it's not that, it's not that. Like those ones that you, that you try to ignore that you're really, really good at ignoring, if you can listen to those voices, um, your life will change radically because you have all of the answers within you. And my whole self-development journey started when I heard Jordan Peterson say something to that effect. He said, uh, if you have a memory that's more than 18 months old and you still have um, an emotional reaction when you think of the memory, it's basically because you haven't learned everything from that memory that you could learn. And this was at a time in my life where I had insane social anxiety, like um, adrenaline rushes 40, 50, 60 times a day, barely functioning. I would lose my voice talking to my wife or my mom on the phone. Like I, mean, I choke up, like I'm talking in front of a million people. Like my social anxiety was off the charts. And I was taking, um, I was taking, uh, I was taking edible marijuana to sleep at the time. And when you ask yourself a question, you don't want to know the answer to when you're taking a heavy edible, like you'll get the answer. And 
I did that every night for literally 18 months until I ran out of answers. And it was like, that's not what I recommend because it was super destabilizing for my personality. Like I, I had a basically a personality collapse, but by the end of it, like there was nothing I was hiding from myself anymore. At least nothing that I could find that I was hiding from myself. And when you finally stop hiding, stop hiding from yourself, that's like a superpower. And then when you can rebuild from that point without anything holding you back that you don't realize is holding you back, like you can live an amazing, tremendously powerful life. So, um, yeah, whatever, whatever you don't want to admit, just man up and admit it and your life will get worse for a little bit and then it'll get way, 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 way better. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, man. I, I recently talking about like asking yourself questions and, and journaling and such. I, uh, I recently went on a camping trip where like most of my time my phone was on airplane mode and like, there's no reception out there. And I, like one of the mornings I woke up and I just literally started write down, writing down all the things in my life that like kind of pissed me off, like to like, like from, you know, the income that I make or the amount that I have in savings to like the dry, like the water stains and the drywall of my fucking ceiling in my apartment. Like it's like literally every single thing that just made me so uncomfortable yeah. with my life. And then I was like all right, I'm going to start writing down ways that like, this is my fault, basically. Like I was like the ways that Beautiful. I've been in this, you know, yeah. and once I had that page, it pissed me off even more. Cause I'm like, I cannot believe I've sabotaged myself this much for this long yeah. and blamed the world. Yeah. And those little things that you, that are on your to-do list that aren't yet on your to-do list, but they're kind of floating out in the ether. They suck your energy, like your inner drive, your mojo gets drained by that stuff. Yeah, man. And, absolutely. Yeah. And just naming them, just being like, okay, just naming the beast. Like there's so many, there's so many stories in mythology where there's like, you know, some unknown beast attacking the village. And then once somebody figures out what it is and gives the beast a name, then you can kill it. Right. So you have to name the beast. Like if you don't write these things down and actually list out, here's the things that I need to work on. They're just going to float out there in the ether. And it's like dragging weights behind you. And you won't realize until you write those things down and start knocking them off your list and clearing up that mental clutter you won't realize how much weight you're pulling behind you and how much faster you can be without it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and that, that was pretty much what, you know, recently like relit a fire under my ass. Like I was like getting to the point where, you know, I was sleeping in, like I said, like a couple of weeks ago, like I was like sleeping in a little bit more or like cheating a little bit more on my meal plan, et cetera. And then since I had that day where I was like writing down all these reasons, basically like literally the 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 faults that i had had that had led me to sabotage myself mm -hmm. i was like man fuck this and then that was where like okay now i'm waking up back again like you know like i'm excited again because for me like kind of accepting the blame or accepting the fault for it was also empowering like it was like okay i'm also mm -hmm. the guy that can fucking turn this around then yeah yeah and i, I heard um I don't know if you know who Gavin McInnes is, but he's, he's like, yeah, kind yeah. Of, he's the like, old he's vice like an, guy. Yeah. He's like an ultra canceled person. Yeah. Um, but I was listening to him one time years ago and he said, you know, if, if your marriage is failing as the man, it's your fault. And I thought, okay, that's wow. stupid. Like clearly there's lots of cases where it's not. And then he had like people call in and they explained these horrible stories of like, you know, where I was like, okay, this is clearly, okay. Clearly in this case, like it was the wife's fault. And no matter what story they called in with, you're just like, yeah, the way you explain it like that, it kind of sounds bad, but I don't know. It's probably still your fault. And he was like, hang up and go to the next one. And that sounds like really stupid. 
Um, but for me, that was like the message I needed to hear. Like that was what saved my marriage was like, okay, I'm just going to look at everything. Like it's my fault. And whether it's true or not, whether it's factually accurate, it's kind of secondary um, because what, what matters most is, is what's true in action and in behavior. And when I looked at it that way, like anything that happened, it was my fault. I became way more patient, way more loving, way more forgiving. I began to obviously take more responsibility and accountability. And I began to act better. And I began to act more in accordance with a version of me that I'd be proud of. And then my wife, oh, surprise, she started becoming way more loving and patient with me because that was an environment that I was creating in the home. And so, you know what, whether it's factually true or not, if you take on as many of the world's problems onto your own shoulders and say, this is up to me, totally counter to what you'd expect, everything gets better. Uh, yeah. And it's so, it's so funny because that's like the exact opposite of what society kind of like pushes in, in the narrative where it's like, uh, yeah. you know, this has all happened to me and we need to send this person, you know, money because this happened to them or, you know, and, and man, like I'm all about like a kind of like a social welfare system, man. Like I've definitely been on like uh, employment insurance in my, in certain areas of my life, man. Like they, there's been times that were a little bit more, uh, you know, difficult to navigate than, than the way I live now. But I just feel like in society, it's always like, uh, you know, we always want to ask like, what happened to you instead of like, what, like, how did your life, what did you do to get yourself there? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, and there's obviously like, there's a place for both and you don't want to be an asshole. Like you want to be empathetic and you want to dig into, like, you have to talk that stuff through, but you have to talk it through with the point of like, trying to move past it. And I had so much empathy coming at me from so many directions at certain points in my life that it was actually very disempowering because it created this thing where it's like, oh yeah, like none of this is my fault. Like I have been a recipient of hardship and I am a victim. And that mentality is not the thing that's going to get you back up on your feet and stop being a victim. It's just going to be like, okay, yeah, you know, like poor me, it's not my fault. And since it's not my fault, there's really nothing I can do about it. It's like, you know what, but if it was your fault, and again, whether it's factually true or not, if you think about it, like it's on your, it's on your shoulders, you're the person in charge of it. As scary that responsibility is, it gives you the power to say, oh, well, if it's, if it's on me, if it's my fault, that means I'm the one who can control this. So I can actually make it better. So it's actually a very empowering message. The last thing you want to do to somebody who's like completely depressed and their life sucks is tell them like, it's not your fault. There's nothing you can do about it. It's like, oh, really? It's like, well, maybe I won't stick around then because if there's nothing I can do about it, you know, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. Right as you said that, I thought about the uh, the scene in Goodwill Hunting, man. It's like, it's not your fault. Oh, I rewatched <laughs> that like every 18 months. Amazing. I watched it like two months ago. Yeah, yeah. it's one of my favorite yeah. movies ever, but that I know, just sparked I know, it. I know. It's like, it's not yeah. your fault. Yeah, so good. Amazing scene. Yeah. Man, I, I think that's a beautiful place to wrap this up. I, I got to get jetting out Definitely. of here pretty sweet or pretty soon here because I do. I got to get somewhere at noon. But um, amazing. Dude, I, I really appreciate this, dude. I, this is one of my favorite chats. Actually, it flew by way faster than I thought it would. Oh, I'm glad. Thank you. I, I'm, amazing. I'm, I'm hopeful that we get around to pretty quick, man. Because I feel I like the that. two of us can just ramble on for hours and hours, man. Yeah, I and I'd I... like to catch up with you a little bit too. Hear about your life, but uh, yeah, I'd love to do round two anytime.
Wicked, man. Maybe we'll set that up later this week or uh, next weekend, whatever it works best for you, man. But I appreciate your time, man. And I appreciate your insight. That kind of even helped me out, like kind of figure out how what some of the work that I need to do with my own identity, just kind of maybe um, just revisiting it, man. I appreciate it. Amazing. Well, I'm I'm very glad to hear that. Yeah. Anything you want to dig in deeper offline too, you know, always available for you. Yeah, man. We might have to talk about getting my ass over into Texas there soon. Hey, I'd love it. You know what? I don't know if I don't know if this is gonna work, but let's see if I can make this happen. We got. Uh, I'm like, you see the water? Wow, oh, the weather looks it. impeccable there. I, I can't like, see any water, but oh, oh there yeah, you yeah. See it. yeah. It's kind of like it's hard to see from here, but it's. Uh, I don't know, I'm fucking up the camera. It's it's a it's a good spot to visit. We got an extra bed, so if you want to come check it out, like definitely do. Hell yeah, man! I look forward to it. Thank you so much, man. Thank you for your All time. Right. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you. Man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I really, really do appreciate it. All right, chat soon, man. I'll text you later, but I'm going to jet out of here now. Okay, cheers. Take care. Thank you so much, bro. Peace. Bye.